I'm Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Jane, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Hello, friends, and welcome back. This is your favorite rare disease podcast, Once Upon a Gene, and I'm your host, Effie Parks. I have another episode today surrounding hemophilia. If you missed the one recently with Patrick James Lynch, make sure you check it out. It's episode number 78. He's so awesome. And today I'm chatting with a mom and a dad who have a biological son with severe hemophilia type A. It's a rare genetic disease, which makes him vulnerable to prolonged bleeding, making lifelong care and treatment a necessity. Despite these challenges, these rare parents knew they wanted to grow their family. And since they were unable to have another biological child, they welcomed the idea of fostering or adopting, which is so amazing. Their search led them to little Trey, who shares the same rare genetic disease as their biological son, Tag. He was abandoned at two years old and spent seven years living in an orphanage in China. In January, right before travel restrictions were implemented, they were able to bring him home. And he was in a wheelchair and suffering from an active bleed at the time. And they brought him back to the U.S., his forever home and his forever family. So we're going to hear a little bit about their heartwarming story and their journey through adoption. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Monica and Josh. Hi, Monica and Josh. Welcome to the show. Hi. Uh, I'm looking forward to chatting with you. I'm very intrigued about your story, and I think it's just such an exciting thing that you both have done. Can you give me a little bit of background on why you're in the rare disease world and who your little kiddos are? Sure. We are in the rare disease world. Um, it began... It'll be seven years ago in September when our firstborn son, Tag, came into our lives. Um, he is our biological child, and he was born in September 2014. And he was diagnosed when he was two days old with severe hemophilia type A, which was a complete shock to us. We had no idea at the time that I was a carrier and had mild hemophilia myself. So we weren't expecting that at all. He was flown to Louisville from our local hospital to the NICU in Louisville when he was two days old and given the diagnosis following some complications that he experienced after his birth in our small town local hospital. So they sent us off where they had some specialists that could figure out what was going on. So that is what started our journey in the rare disease world. And it has been quite a journey, but we have you know, we've got through it, we've survived, and we have flourished and learned a lot about ourselves and um, our strength and been able to pass it on to our kids. And it came full circle when we found out about Trey. And that was, like Josh said, in the spring of 2019. And we had started entertaining the idea of other ways to grow our family. We had a lot of trouble conceiving with Tag and hadn't been able to have another biological child since Tag was born. So we started looking into other ways that we could grow our family and 
we started with the fostering and fostering to adopt route and it didn't seem like a good fit for our family for during that season of our lives. And then we happened to get an article from the Hemware uh, Foundation. They send out a magazines and there was an article that was delivered in their most recent newsletter right after we set through the foster to adopt class. And it featured a story about a family who also had a son with hemophilia and they had just finalized adoption of their second son with hemophilia from China. And it was just kind of this big aha moment. And there was uh, some contact information in that article about a lady who had done that same thing, adopted a little boy with hemophilia about 10 years ago. And she runs the Hemophilia Foundation of Michigan and they help to place children that have hemophilia that are up for adoption in China with um, their forever families. So I just reached out to her and Trey was on the waiting list available for adoption. We found out about him in the end of April, 2019. We started the adoption process in May of 2019. And then we were, the three of us, me and Josh and Tag, stepping on a plane at the beginning of January, 2020, headed over to China. So it happened really fast. Wow. You're so lucky to have such a rich like hemophilia uh, community where things like these articles are being written and these programs are enacted to help adopt other kids with the same rare disease. That's amazing. Yes, there is so much support out there. And uh, it is just a, a truly wonderful group of people that we have been blessed to connect with in the world of hemophilia. Yeah, I love that. Can you give me a little description of the type of hemophilia that the boys have and how it shows up for them? Sure. Um, they both have severe hemophilia type A. They're both basically missing the factor eight protein in their body in the clotting cascade. So if they are not receiving medication to help bridge that gap and prevent bleeding, as they both do right now, then they bleed very easily, they bleed and they bleed longer. You know, if they fall, get a bump, get a bruise, an internal bleed, intracranial bleeding, things like that are, they're hard to, to manage the bleeding if you don't have the proper medication. And um, if they're not on like a, a preventative regimen like they both are, then the bleeding can be, it can be life-threatening. And it's very scary. Trey did not receive any preventative medication when he was in China while he was uh, waiting for us. So I'm amazed that he is, even still alive and in such as good a condition, his, his body is so uh, well preserved and in good condition without getting preventative medication because you get those bleeds in your joints repeatedly, then, you know, it can be crippling. So I know as a rare disease parent, those, like you said, day two, that's really early. There's so much fear and stress and trauma of the unknown of what's happening with your child. And I wonder when did you get to that point or what sort of changed for you that one made you realize that you did want another kid, but most more importantly, that you were ready to adopt and take on another child with the same rare disease? Like, when did you feel empowered enough to know that you could handle this? Once Tag was able to start a preventative medication regimen to where he was not bleeding because the first year or so he was in and out of hospital ER trips for just any kind of little bleed. He was such an active dude, um, even as a toddler or a baby rolling over in his crib. And so he was getting a lot of bleeds and having to go to the ER and get factor uh, therapy to stop the bleeding. So that was stressful. And definitely not at that time had we entertained the idea of growing our family or adopting another child with that 
rare disease because we were still trying to get a handle on it ourselves. But after he was one, uh, he started his preventative regimen and was getting medication every other day to prevent bleeding. He had a port in his chest and we were able to do that at home. And so that kind of became our routine for several years. And it just became what we did. You know, you, you got a lot, we just got more comfortable with it. Before, I guess, but you don't think about it. It just becomes part of your lives. And we were grateful that he was able to get the medication and not be bleeding anymore. So knock on wood, he's not had a bleed since we started that treatment. And then he was able to start a new medicine that was just a shot that I gave him at home in the back of his arm once every two weeks a couple of years ago. And that was just life-changing for us as far as time that we had to spend, how much medicine we had to give. Uh, it didn't have to go in a vein. So that was just, again, that was life-changing for us to have the freedom that that opened up for us. And then got a lot more comfortable with that. And at this point, I think I would have a harder time being a mom to to a child that didn't have <laughs> I, was, I was actually getting ready to bring that up. When we were talking about uh, the possibility of having a second child, I asked Monica, I said, you know, what are we going to do if we have, uh, if our next child has hemophilia? And Monica kind of asked me, she said, well, you know, what if we don't? Which made perfect sense because at that point we had spent all of TAG's life, you know, learning about and preparing for and dealing with uh, having a child with hemophilia, that it would be more foreign to us to not you know, be dealing with that on a day-to-day -day basis. So I, I I never thought of it in those terms until Monica said that. Mm, I love that perspective, you guys. And I'm just so happy for you and the, the hemophilia network in general that there are some of these treatments available for the boys. It's just, it's wonderful. What do you think some of the obstacles were for you, aside from just the adoption, which we will get into, but was there any kind of support issues that you had or difficult decisions in adoption in general, since you'd never really considered it? Did you find that you had all the support behind you? Did you have any personal hangups about adoption? We didn't have any personal hangups about it. Um, we knew our family wasn't done growing and we were just trying to, you know, navigate the route and get to the, the place where we were supposed to, to grow our family. Um, and so when we started the adoption, most people entertain the idea of adoption first, and then they identify the child that they're going to adopt. It was backwards for us. You know, we, we kind of found out about Trey first before we started the adoption process. So when we found out about him and we read his story and we seen the video of him trying to walk and he was having an active bleed in his knee and he was holding onto a rail trying to walk, but he had the biggest smile on his face. Like he just... It didn't bother him. I mean, he was so happy. And so we were all in from the get-go. And just I had this sense of urgency that we had to hurry. And our adoption agency was great. They were super supportive once we identified them. They had handled a lot of adoptions of children with hemophilia. So they were a wonderful support. Our family was 110% behind us, supporting, helping us fundraise, you know, helping watch tag when I had to run all over the country, collecting paperwork and um, all the processes that we had to go through, the interviews. So we had no issues with support and I kind of didn't, we joke and we say we didn't really have a lot of time to think about it or second guess anything because <laughs> it went so fast. And, and again, I just, I had this sense of urgency. We had to get over there. We had to get him home. Um, this bleeding disorder, when I found out he didn't have 
medication to prevent the bleeding. But in hindsight, we definitely had a lot of help, not only with family, but with uh, resources that were made available that we found out after the fact. There are a lot of, uh, of agencies and resources out there available to people like us. And uh, definitely want to thank those types of agencies. Yeah, let's talk about a couple of them. Who helped you get all the paperwork done and who helped you file for any types of grants that were perhaps available? Who helped you through the motions after you had Trey's little face pop up and you knew that he needed to be in your family? What were those next steps and who helped you? Our next steps were identifying our adoption agency, which um, was the Hand in Hand International Adoptions that was also in the article that had done a lot of work trying to place children with hemophilia in their forever home over here in the United States. So, of course, we uh, contacted them and they were on board and very supportive and, and understood our sense of urgency and requested the, um, the expedites on our behalf. So they were the ones who handled the paperwork processes for us. Pam Thomas and Kendra Allen were our major contacts and supports there that handled everything, um, the logistics, the paperwork, putting us in contact with who we needed to get to with paperwork and all the steps of getting things notarized and to the consulate and uh, making our travel arrangements and our contact in China through their agency that was uh, our guardian angel while we were there that held our hand the whole time. Then the, the grant agencies, the people that helped us fund the adoption were they were our angels too. (laughs) Because when I went to Josh about this, like, again, we hadn't thought about a lot or prepared or um, started saving a lot of money for this adoption. International adoption is expensive. It just is. That's, that's the facts. And so we just started applying for grants to see what we could get to help us get started. And we were able to get a few of those and they came in. The timing was just divine intervention. Donations came in, you know, when, when we needed to make an agency payment, we, we, don't, we would wind up with like the exact amount that we needed to make the next agency payment. And then when we found out our travel expenses were going to be almost triple because we were traveling right around Chinese New Year, we found out we were awarded a grant that covered all of our travel expenses. <laughs> the gift of adoption agency that we got the Rare Is grant was funded through. We had one more agency fee right before we funded about our travel fees and it covered that amount in full. It just, you have to move forward in faith. And, and that's where our adoption agency kept telling us. They, they said, it will work out. You just have to keep putting one foot in front of the other. And so it's kind of your blind faith. You're walking through just hoping and praying and then they, and it does, it just works out. Well, it sounds like it was meant to be from the beginning. And I love that there were these organizations that helped guide you through it because it does seem like a daunting thing to take on. Not, of course, the rare disease child that you're adopting, but adopting in general and internationally. It seems like it could be overwhelming. It is. It is definitely a grand challenge, but it's well worth it at the rewards and then some when you get through it. (laughs) And the Kentucky Hemophilia Foundation were very supportive, even, you know, before they admit Trey, obviously, when they found out what we were doing, they were very supportive. Wow. Who was more excited, Tag or you guys? I don't know. (laughs) He was just as excited as us, for sure. He was making big plans for finally. He had never been on an airplane before, and Monica and I were worried about that. You know, the (laughs) the initial 12, 13-hour flight from Detroit to Beijing, and he handled everything like a pro, so... Wow. He was pretty excited to meet his brother. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. Josh, can you tell me about the bond between the the boys now? 
like Monica said, it's weird to think that we're already talking about having done this in 2019 because that's a little amount of time ago, but it seems like so much time has passed and it's hard to imagine, I guess, not having Trey here or watching those two together. You know, uh, parents love their kids, obviously. And, uh, you know, there's, there's something to be said about the specific bond that siblings have with each other. You know, it's, it, I think it's something between siblings and I think it's something specific between kids that, that I guess maybe kind of lose as an adult, but it, it's, it's funny to watch, both of them bond and interact with each other and the things that they're doing. So uh, again, we've just got so used to this in the past year. It's it'd be difficult to imagine not having him here now, not ha- not those two having each other. I know they fell into like the typical sibling, big brother for Trey, little brother for Tag roles. Right. They were Gosh. totally meant to play those roles. Like Tag was never meant to be a the bigger brother. He is such a a crazy, spontaneous, impulsive, mischievous little guy. <laughs> uh, and Trey is just a watchful, patient, big brother. He's very, he's always telling Ty, be careful. Um, <laughs> and he watches over him. It's very sweet. And he has the patience of Job. And he's just a solid kid. I mean, he doesn't, he's not shaken by anything. You know, Tag is, is younger. He's three years younger. And he's a little more emotionally driven and but Trey's just solid. They're definitely a good match for each other. I think they're definitely a, a good counterbalance to the other's personality for, type. And For sure. It's so magical. We've got to experience a lot of things with those two together now. like The beach. The beach. Yeah, we took them to the va- uh, on vacation to the beach in Florida. And, of course, we spent an inordinate amount of time at home together given the pandemic. But that was a, a, another caveat to our trip over there we got back on the 16th of january and you know essentially the country went on lockdown just a few weeks later so throw that into uh the the other run of good luck that we had as far as getting over there and getting back in time before everything shut down but uh we've been at home and and you know not just our kids but all kids have had to put up with quite a bit over the past year and uh these two they've they've just They've done wonderful. They are. They're rock stars. I mean, they don't seem to know that there's something really crazy going on right now. They enjoy having each other and bonding and playing, and they will go outside for hours. And and sometimes I'll kind of go check in on them, and I'm told to go away. No girls allowed. (laughs) (laughs) You're you're stuck in a house of men. I am. I am. I think it's kind of like a little hidden blessing that everything shut down and your family got to just be together and kind of, you know, become one and get to know each other on this level that perhaps you wouldn't have had so quickly. Right. Yeah. Do you feel like Trey coming along and being this watchful, calm big brother also helped Tag feel I know he was young, but did it help Tag feel a little less alone to know that there was someone like him? I think it did. I think it definitely did Trey as well. I mean, Tag has been around other children with hemophilia when we do our Kentucky hemophilia events. So, but to go, um, to grow up with, with a brother now that shares that same diagnosis, I think it's been wonderful for both of them. We do their treatments together, but I don't think Trey realized that anybody else could had hemophilia until we got him home. And so once he's seen me doing tags medicine and, you know, and then he found out mom has mild hemophilia too. Like you could just see this kind of look come over him like, wow, you know, I'm not alone in this. And he just, you know, he's embraced his new life of having medication and not having, he, he was kind of kept with, on the nursery side at the orphanage just so he would stay safe because older kids his age were rough. Boys are rough. That's just what they do. But 
to be able to sit down and get their shots together and then go and play. He has just totally embraced his new bleed-free life because he's he had a lot of bleeds, a lot of hospitalizations in his first eight years before we were able to get home with him. But back to your original question with tag though, yeah, I think they they kind of think it's cool <laughs> that they get to do that they get to do their shots together and that they both have hemophilia and that's something they can bond over. <laughs> yeah, they're just adorable. My cheeks hurt when I see pictures of them because they're both just smiling so big all the time and they look so happy together. Thank you. I think they are. They seem to be most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> so, what would you tell other families who? might be considering this or perhaps has not ever considered this, but do want to grow their family. How do they get past the point of imagining caring for another rare disease kiddo? And how would you say how much it could enrich one's life? I mean, it got, it's, it's a two-way street on that one. I mean, obviously you can give a child with a rare disease a completely different life and a different perspective on how to live that life. I mean, Trey had... I don't know if he just gotten used to this is how it's going to be. I'm going to have to be careful. I'm going to be easily hurt. I'm going to bleed easy. But to come over here and have access to medication, you know, we live in in a very blessed country as far as being able to have access to medication and doctors and insurance that will help cover that medication and the resources here. Um, so you can give a child, give them a life, you give them a family, a chance to grow up in a family and experience that love and that that unconditional love from parents and that support it is so life-changing for them but it is even more i think for parents even more so than that and we had we were not prepared to know how blessed that we were going to feel just watching him transform he has just blossomed and we have watched his confidence grow and he has embraced his new life his new active life his new family and he just, you know, he loves to just snuggle up on the couch and watch a movie. Things that we take for granted, you know, like he just, he watches, it's it's neat to watch him observe the world. Like just when we drove to Florida for the beach, he wouldn't close his eyes to sleep. He wanted to watch out the window the whole time. He does not want to miss a thing. And then when he found out we were going to have a big snow, I mean, he was praying for snow so he would have a chance to go sledding. You know, most adults are like, oh, my gosh, you know, snow. And <laughs> they worry so much. But he was, the, you know, praying for he's never seen it before. So just obviously the big things that you think of, it is the little things that you don't think of. I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a challenge and it's stressful and it's work. But it is just it's so worth it beyond worth it. The reward, the blessings that you get to experience, those exchanges with your kids, letting watching Tag and Trey together, bonding and growing as brothers now. I mean, they do. They just get lost in their own little world. They've just, they were making comic books this morning together from a movie they watched. They put together puppets yesterday. Yeah, they put together um some sea creature monsters for a puppet show that they did. Just I just can't imagine typical kid stuff. Yeah, yeah. I just love it. I think everyone who's listening can a hundred percent understand what you say when you're just watching the wonder in a kid's eyes and in the moments. Right? It's those little things that just change your life and what how much we would have missed on the past year not having him is in our family and what he would have missed for the past year and this has been a year i mean we've got decades now moving forward a lifetime <laughs> of these moments so i just cannot imagine not having him here with us 
It's so special. I love it. What a beautiful thing. And I think this is going to inspire a lot of a lot of conversations between people listening on future family planning, especially just, you know, these rare disease kiddos that do need the extra medical care and a family. I mean, every adopted kid, obviously, but I think parents like us, like you said earlier, Josh, why not us? Like, we know how to do this. We're good at this. Do either of you have any advice or any wisdom that you've learned through this process? You know, we started with no knowledge, no research. We had not given any consideration to this. So we started just on a completely empty slate moving forward and we managed to get through it. So I guess the best advice I would say is just if it's something you're considering, take that step on faith. If it's been put in your heart, it's been put in your mind, it's been put there for a reason. And they say in in the adoption world that they talk about the red thread phenomenon, that there's a red thread that connects you to that child that you're meant to have. So, I mean, you know, that child's tugging on that red thread at your heartstring. If it's it's there, it's for a reason. And you can't ignore that. You need to explore that and just move forward on faith. There are agencies there. There are people there that spend selfless countless hours. They will get you through it, but you have to take the first step and and just keep moving. <laughs> Put one foot in front of the other all the way through it. And know, know that help is available. It is available. It will work out. You will get through it. I'm really happy to hear that because I wouldn't necessarily go into it thinking that it would be something where people would nudge you and help lift you and help carry you along the process. You know, just kind of what you know about adoption, it just seems way more stressful than that. And not that I'm sure you didn't encounter so much stress and obstacles in doing it, but I'm just so glad to know that there were resources that really helped both of you along in the journey. And I'm just so thankful that you brought Trey over to be a part of your family and probably saved his life in doing so. And I'm just so happy for all of you. And those boys are so cute and they have the cutest names in the business. And thank you. I'm really happy to have crossed paths with you. And if there's anything else that you want to leave with our audience, just let me know. Thank you. That covered it. (laughs) All right. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this show with your people and please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story, or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate you all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you. Ha 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 ha!